Welcome back to the Global Digital Banker. My name is Adele Grissar and this is RFI Group's Insight Backed Podcast, focused on key trends, thought leadership and best practice within the fast-growing and dynamic world of digital banking. RFI Group research shows that only 40% of consumers globally will ever switch their main bank. In today's episode, we take a look into the importance of transactional relationships on acquiring main bank status, along with the current and future drivers of main bank relationships. Guests include Gerald Ferguson, Managing Director Asia Pacific at RFI Group, and Michael Jordan, CEO at Bank Zero South Africa. First up, we hear from Gerald Ferguson, who shares insights on the shift towards transactional banking relationships, opportunities from live stage switching, and the current and future drivers of main bank relationships. Chloe James here with Gerald Ferguson, talking all about main banks and digital-only providers, where we're going to talk all about whether digital-only providers can, in fact, become a main bank for consumers. I'm going to start with that big question. What's your view, Jerry? Uh, yeah, it is It is the big question. And I think, look, fundamentally, do I believe that a digital-only provider can become a main bank holder? Then, yes, I do believe that can happen. I believe it will take some time, though. I think that's the important part we need to focus on. We have watched and witnessed the changing of, of what a main bank means to customers over the last few years. And we see already that large traditional players or established players, I should say, do in fact have customers who are digital only engagers. So they will only um, engage with that customer through digital means. Now, I think it's important to understand and define what main bank means. Now, a lot of banks will have different metrics about how they define a main bank customer. It might be consolidation of product. It might be consolidation of affluence. One of the things that we look at at RFI is to look at the customer defined view of main bank. So we ask the customers what makes them define this to be a main bank. Traditionally, this has been around things like it's the bank that I've banked with the most for the longest. It's the bank that my parents banked with. It's the bank where I hold all of my assets or importantly, particularly here in Asia, it's related to where the transactional account or my payroll goes into. And that's been a sort of traditional definition of main bank from the customer base. And that still holds true across most of the markets particularly in Asia, but also globally. The one thing that we're seeing now that's changing in terms of that definition of main bank, and this is where the opportunity for other players to come in, is that definitions of main bank are now switching to focus around being a more transactional relationship. So i.e. it's the bank that allows me to do what I want when I want. And that can mean a, a sort of range of things, but effectively, it's the bank that allows me to pay my bills. It's the bank that allows me to transact. It's the bank that allows me to do my day-to-day activities and importantly, allows me to do it in the way that I want to do it. So I think there's time that needs to happen and time that will take to become a digital-only main bank relationship, but I certainly do think it can happen. Well, interestingly, if it's the bank that I can do what I want with when I want. That's when the digital only providers come in because that's really the premise and the proposition, if you like, that many digital only providers really pin their pin their proposition on. Absolutely. I think um, if you look at where the disruption in inverted commas is happening, um, where a lot of these new players are targeting, it's around payments and it's around savings. It's um, very transactional relationships for these customers and it's very much at the forefront of what they do. So 
the new entrants have seen a, a niche or seen a particular area of the banking experience, and that's what they're looking to disrupt. The issue that they have is that trust and value, trust is built up over time and built over experience, but also customers are looking for value, and, um, and value needs to be more than just a good digital experience. Well, well, trust and value, that's a really interesting conversation to have. And, and absolutely, a lot of our research shows that trust is such a huge part. And, and even though you might not love your bank, you pretty much trust your bank. They have that trust piece really as the winning point. Can trust trump value or can value trump trust if, in fact, a digital-only provider is providing so much value that a consumer thinks, well, I'm, I'm going to go for the value and, and hope that I trust this kind of new entrant. Yeah, I, I, I do think it can. Again, I think it's going to take time. And the one thing that the established players have on their side, as you said, is that concept and that commodity of trust. Uh, they've been around a long, long time. They've been bricks and mortar banks for, for a long, long time. And that main banking relationship in terms of um, being visible and being and being a steady influence in their lives is is obviously still important to customers. So trust is important, and that's something that they will need to play down. And the way that they're trying to do that is through value. Mm. And obviously, playing to value means that they're trying to to win the customer essentially at a particular moment or through a particular product. Mm. The one issue I think that they will face is that value, as I said, needs to be more more than just a good digital experience or a good rate on a savings account. Value, um, from what we see in our research, is more around the understanding of customer. So being proactive, having a breadth of offer that suits that customer and being appropriate in terms of their, um, their offering of products at particular times. So it really comes down to understanding the customer and uh, showing value add in terms of their interactions. And I think that's where at the moment the traditional players will have an advantage because they own the customer already. They have the breadth of product so that they can offer across the board and they really are upping their game because of the, the influence of these new entrants. They're really upping their game in terms of using data to understand their customers. Yeah, the competition is on. C coming back to this main bank topic then, and I know that you present research all over the world as, as does RFI. Coming back to the main bank conversation, I know that you look a lot at life stage and, and life stage changes is often when a lot of the switching occurs. Just wondering if you can give any indications here on what some of those life stages are, which then cause people to switch. And that might be a point that a, a digital only provider could come in and acquire that customer, or in fact, a main bank can offer you know, something at a certain life stage to, to keep them on their books. Yeah, I think life stage plays a plays an enormous part. A couple of headline stats for you. We know that 90% of switching of main bank relationship happens before the age of 30. And in fact, the majority of that happens between the age of 25 to 29. Globally, only about 40% of customers ever switch their main bank. So Right there, there's an issue that new entrants are going to have to overcome is the, the lethargy, I suppose, of customers to want to switch their main banking relationship. Why do customers tend to switch their main bank? Well, as you said, it relates very heavily to life stage. It could be, if you think about that sweet spot, if you like, in terms of when customers will switch, which, by the way, is also a sweet spot in terms of anything to do with digital uptake or trying new ways to pay or engage with a bank. If you think about that age group of 25 to 35-year-olds, they're coming out of university, they're getting in their first job, they're more than likely getting married, uh, they're having children, they're investing in property, they're investing in wealth, they're investing in insurance. These are all key product relationships that the consumers 
um, are taking their time to, to make decisions on. They like to have the partnership of the bank in those decisions. And once you have a conversation around something as complex as a mortgage proposition or as a wealth proposition, you as a provider get to understand a lot about those customers. And there's a great opportunity for you to then embed that relationship across a number of products. Obviously, the cross-sell off the back of mortgages is well known, particularly in markets like Australia and the UK. It's a great lead product for a lot of these banks to go after. So LifeStage plays a huge part in terms of that ability to switch or the ability to get customers to switch. But again, it goes back to understanding those customers and knowing when those opportunities are arising and being proactive as a bank or a financial services provider to be in the moment and in front of the customer when that moment is happening. Fantastic. Well, just we, we've got to wrap it up soon, Gerald. I just I wanted to close out on current and future drivers when it comes to obtaining this main bank relationship. What you think it is now, and you've given some really good points in in the chat that we've had, but points on currently what's going to bring someone into a main bank and perhaps in the future something that you think that people should be really focusing on, whether you're listening to this out there as a traditional financial services provider or perhaps a new entrant. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a couple of underlying themes in terms of what's going to drive main bank relationship. And as I said, and I've said it before, um, value is one, trust is another but also appropriateness in terms of that product offering. The big thing that kind of underlines all of that is, of course, we can't lose or ignore the human element or the human interaction. Now, I'm not saying that you need to have humans in all facets of the relationship. Absolutely, you can have, and we are seeing this in terms of chatbots and AI, but it's about having the ability to have a conversation with the customer or allowing the customer to have a conversation with you. So I, I see the future trends in terms of main bank being much more around the transactional relationship, but also as a customer, there's an expectation for that bank to understand my needs and understand what I'm trying to do, what my life goals are, where I'm at in my life and being the right sort of partner to help me grow. That's particular, we see that a lot in Asia where you have a lot of commoditization across the product set. So by that, I mean, there's not a great deal of differentiation on price, but there is a great deal of differentiation on the service proposition that is attached to those products. And that, that I think, is going to be a key differentiator in terms of where the main bank relationship will fall. And, of course, service is where a lot of the new bank entrants are trying to differentiate themselves. Well, thanks, Gerald. Thanks for your time. Really interesting. Not a problem. Thanks a lot, Chloe. Next, we hear from Michael Jordan, who explains the catalyst behind launching Bank Zero, the digital banking scene in South Africa, and how they differentiate themselves from other competitors in the market. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for joining us on uh, this week's episode of the Global Digital Banker. Uh, here today to tell us all about Bank Zero, one of the new digital-only propositions and coming out of South Africa, really interesting proposition. So, uh, Michael, why don't you just kick off by telling us a little bit about behind the catalyst behind establishing Bank Zero and the sort of story so far? Well, thank you for having me. Um, yes, the story is still in being. We hope to launch Bank Zero by the end of 2018. The background is that we are a small team of highly competent bankers. So these are all ex-bankers who, after having left the corporate world, explored what if. And with what if, I mean the opportunities that could happen in financial services if one didn't have legacy technology, which we all experienced in uh, the bank where we worked, if one didn't have to protect historic income streams, and maybe from an organizational structure perspective, 
there were no silos. Mm. So that was our background. Secondly, we tried to solve a real problem in the economy. Uh, there are many startups today. The startups that are likely to be most successful are those that look what society's needs and problems are. And in our case, in the case of South Africa, we felt there were two problems. The one is that the bank fees are relatively high. And secondly, that we don't save enough as a nation. And one of the reasons is that banks don't offer adequate interest rates. Mm. And then the final background is, of course, that smartphones and the whole mobile revolution is a macro trend of our time. And we wanted to ride on the back of such a big macro trend. Mm. And so you've been issued a provisional license by the South African Reserve Bank, and you just mentioned you're due to launch at the end of the year. Uh, just for our global readers, uh, what's the sort of fintech scene there? What are, what are the other competitors doing um, within that space? Are there any other players leveraging that digital trend? We've had a long period in South Africa where no new banking licenses were issued. And suddenly in the last year, some three licenses have been uh, issued by the central bank. Wow. Uh, and they've all been to players who have a very strong edge. Hmm. Um, and clearly all of them, a similar opportunity to the one that we are seeing. Okay. So, and you were intending to differentiate yourself, I guess, it's sort of a wait and see when the three launch, I guess. <laughs> Yes, there, there will still be a number of um, innovations. It's fair to say that all the existing banks use mobile as one of their distribution channels. Yeah. So, so that is definitely something we compete against. But it is different when your entire business is built on mobile, when you have to do everything mobile, when all services um, are expressed in mobile. So um, you can't fall back on saying, please come into the branch, please fill in this type of paperwork. And that means that we can do everything in an electronic fashion, including joining the bank. But it also means that one can bring to the surface new functionality that previously wasn't possible. Mm. Fortunately, I can't disclose to you everything that I mean with new functionality. For that, you'll have to wait until launch. And then the final thing that we can obviously do is be very, very price competitive. And that is by virtue of having a very lean cost structure mm. and the decision to then pass those benefits back onto the customer. Mm. And you've got quite an innovative structure around shares. So can you just explain a little bit more about how your customers will have the opportunity to become shareholders in the bank? Yes, with pleasure. This, is, we believe, is quite a big innovation. Um, it is enabled by South African legislation, which has a specific category called a mutual bank. Mm. Behind any mutual structure is that your customers ultimately also become your shareholders. Now, this really resonated with us as a team because in all our thinking, we've been thinking very long term, um, but we've also been thinking, how can we devise a new business that is truly customer centric? And therefore, we want them to share in the benefits of the business. Now, the obvious way in doing that is to keep fees low, to make savings rates high, we would also like to give them an interest in the profits of the business and that they can do by becoming shareholders. Mm. So we will announce the exact criteria according to which customers can earn shares. It's likely to relate to the ability that they have in introducing new, new customers to the bank. Mm. So if they help us to grow the bank, we'd like to reward them by becoming shareholders in the bank as well. It's a larger, rather large innovation. 
Mm. I mean, that leads really nicely onto my next question is about, you know, getting consumers to switch from their incumbent main bank, a brand potentially that they're very familiar with, to a new player like Bank Zero. That's a fantastic way of bringing customers in. What are some of the other challenges you're seeing and how do you hope to overcome that? Certainly the biggest challenge is just inertia. Some customers may know about their bank, but just don't take the time and effort that it takes to move to a new bank. Mm. Um, it's sometimes said that divorce and moving house features right up there with the effort of, of changing your bank. So yeah. we are aware of that. I would say one of the main obstacles is all the paperwork that is required, in particular legislative requirements like know your customer requirements. And therefore, it's imperative for any new bank that wants to gain market share to make that switching process as easy as possible, um, as electronic as possible, to help with things like debit order switching or salary switching on behalf of the customer. And then finally, to be successful amongst competition, we have 33 banks already operational in South Africa. The value proposition needs to be very clear and very attractive. Not just 10% better than the banks out there, but if you can, 10 times better. I mean, you've got already over 165,000 followers on Twitter. So I imagine social is a big part of your uh, acquisition strategy. Uh, could you talk a little bit more about using those tools to drive customers to Bank Zero? Yes, it's true. I'm fortunate that I have so many followers on Twitter. I myself am a little bit addicted to Twitter. <laughs> it is indeed a very useful way of getting your point across. And I do think that social media can be used to attract uh, more customers for Bank Zero. At the same time, if it becomes only an advertising medium, it loses its authenticity. So I would have to be very careful that I don't become an advertiser, but rather more of an advocate of the benefits that Bank Zero brings. Mm. In general, advertising through digital media is far superior to traditional advertising. Mm. And I say that because, first of all, one can target to the audience. In our case, for example, we'll only target people with smartphones and in certain age groups and in certain income categories. And then secondly, it is very measurable. So mm. one has a very good understanding of what the cost is to convert a customer. Now, these two things um, are far more difficult using traditional media. You can't target and you can't measure as well where your advertising money is going. Mm. Our ideal though, is not just to do well at digital marketing and social media, but actually to um, get virality going. So to make our customers so happy that they actually talk to other people and, and spread it by word of mouth, which is um, over many ages still your most effective advertising strategy. I guess you have more control over that sort of personal tone when you're using means like Twitter, etc. Yes, I do think that being personal is so important in an era where big institutions have done the exact opposite. They've become impersonal. They sometimes even pride themselves on their size and their scale and their breadth of services. But what people really want is something personal, something human, and something that cuts the crap and sometimes has a sense of humor. And we hope that we will bring that across too. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think 
you know, with digital only there, you really have to rely on that kind of word of mouth and that relationship because you haven't got the physical branches there, of course, um, which is something that I'm sure you're looking to with other digital only banks around the globe. So can you uh, name an organization or uh, a fintech that you're looking to for inspiration within digital banking? There are other digital banks out there that are doing very similar things to what we intend doing. I think mm. the names by now are well-known. These are banks like Monzo, Starling Bank, Resolute, or N26. What I can tell you, though, is that the inspiration for Bank Zero didn't come out of studying these other banks, but truly came out of the insights and the deep understanding that our current team members have of the existing banking system, of the existing payment system, and what is technically feasible and socially feasible in South Africa. So we built it ground up. We built it based on first principles, on too deep insight into the financial system. And then, of course, we do benchmark what we have done against some of these other competitors so that we will at least include that type of functionality. But we're pretty confident we're going to come up with some new things that they haven't even thought of yet. Ah, so we'll have to watch this space then and you'll, uh, you'll become the digital bank that everybody's talking about. Yes, we hope so. Of course, nowadays, it's uh, quite easy to also copy some of these features, um, but that goes both ways. So, yeah. you know, we'll come up with new features, maybe they will too, and we'll be able to learn from them. Competition is a wonderful thing. And the one who really benefits is the consumer. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I guess that brings on to the last question then is is around banks and fintechs partnering together. We've seen a variance in how fintechs are doing this around the globe. What's your viewpoint on this, Michael? Well, the concept that we are about to launch, the concept of Bank Zero, is in essence generic. It's a mobile bank. It's got a card attached to it. It allows for richer payments functionality, savings functionality, and personal finance management functionality. Now, these are generic concepts, uh, just like WhatsApp is generic, messaging across the world, or Facebook in terms of social media. And it isn't really or shouldn't really be held captive by national borders. But the difference is that in banking, one requires licenses to operate um, in every country. So what we would certainly look at doing is partnering with financial institutions that allow us quicker market access because the prospect of having to apply for a banking license in every single market where this generic concept can work um, doesn't appeal to us because it takes too long. So we would certainly, in time, uh, from our perspective, look at partnering with a big institution. Mm. From a big institution's perspective, they, of course, need to make themselves resilient for the future. And sometimes they can do so by partnering with someone that doesn't have the legacy baggage uh, of an old bank. But of course, at the same time, they would always think about the revenue that they would cannibalize in doing so. So it's a tough decision for a new bank to take on such a partnership. But we believe that there are such banks out there. And ultimately, those that take these risks are more likely to survive. Mm. And especially in a world where there's more open data and open banking, the need to innovate is, is stronger than ever, don't you think? I think that is one part of it. And how that will evidence itself in our business model is that we would also like to become a platform for a marketplace of financial services. Um, I mentioned before that we're not particularly keen on lending. So we would like to have a lending marketplace. 
And of course, um, insurance products are already generally distributed via intermediaries. So the open finance concept is attractive to consumers on the one hand, but it also lends itself ideally to partnerships with multiple big and small financial players out there. So it's an exciting new world and it's exciting to be launching a small bank after having worked in a big corporate for so many years. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a very exciting year ahead. Thank you so much for joining us, Mindcorn, for, for sharing the thoughts behind Bank Zero. I'm sure everybody's going to be watching with close attention over the next 12 months. So thank you. It's been my pleasure talking to you. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. To view the show notes from this episode, head to globaldigitalbanker.com. To get in touch with us, check us out on Instagram, Global Digital Banker, Twitter at GDB Podcast, or on Facebook under Global Digital Banker Podcast. If you're interested in being a part of the show or would like to let us know what you think of this episode, email us at gdbpodcast at rfigroup.com.